new name, All Ten Commandments. Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to walk us through the Ten Commandments, what they are, what they mean for us, and uh, how they help us live a better and more fulfilled life. So stay tuned. We're on your radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and we're always at hand on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. If you don't have it, you can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. And a big shout out to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship, and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Good morning, or good good noon. It's noon. <laughs> Gosh. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're uh, off to a great start, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's bound to happen. Uh, <laughs> my name is Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's always good to be with you. Our conversation, I, I, I love our time together. It's like therapy, as I said many times, it's great. <laughs> and I don't charge you anything. <laughs> no, you don't. You're very generous. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I, uh, I've said to you many times that I really look forward to our, our conversations, and I learned so much, and uh, grateful. And vice versa, vice versa. Now, before we do with the, the theological stuff, what do you have planned for summer? Anything interesting? Oh, gosh. So we've got, uh, we've got a couple camps for the kids, for the younger mm-hmm. kids. My oldest, um, he's a rising junior in college, as you know. He's mm-hmm. working two jobs this summer. So he's Is he? trying Good to make some him. money. Yeah. And, um, uh, and uh, let's see. We've got two small, really low-key trips to just get away for a couple days as a family. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's, I think that's really important. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and and that's it, and work. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, for me, summer is important because I could take the pace of my life down just a bit. You can't totally disengage, like a parent doesn't disengage, but it allows me to do more strategic thinking, bigger projects. Yeah. So a lot of people I work with dread the summer because when the summer ends, they say, now what is he coming up with? Right. What the crazy idea does he have now? <laughs> <laughs> but as I've said many times, I don't go away. Yes. I haven't since my mother died because I travel and it's just a hassle. But the kids come up, kids being great niece, great nephew, my, ne- my niece, her husband, my sister, yes. my nephew, his girlfriend. They come up to Connecticut, this country, yep. and it's, it, it's just such a great thing to be able to just, for at least three or four days, totally unplug, which is usually like Independence Day, mm-hmm. that, that weekend. Because really, I think almost everybody kind of unplugs, right? Independence Day, yes. that weekend. Right? Yeah. And it's just, and then you realize, see what, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, you go, 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 go. Then when you stop, it like hits you all at once. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the first day, I feel awful. Right, yes. Is, do you have the same thing? Yeah, I totally crash. 
Yeah, yeah, is that what it is? It's like your crash is like, oh my, I don't want to get up, just leave me alone. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) and then to gear back up, it's like you hear the grinding of the wheels. And then once you're back, you're back, right? (laughs) Right. Okay. So now, what are you going to meditate on during the summer? I have a suggestion. Yes, please. Yes, it's about time. The Ten Commandments of God. That's something to think about. That's something to reflect on, pray over, yeah. examination of conscience, right? And really getting back to the roots. <laughs> without a doubt. No, without a doubt. The interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is, of course, we know the Ten Commandments were given by God, mm-hmm. Yahweh, to Moses. The scripture says, one, one version of it says, he actually inscribed it with his own finger on the stone tablets. And as we know, when Moses came down the mountain, he destroyed the tablets, right? He smashed them with the idolatry of the people. Yes. Which itself is a lesson, right? Like everything else, text and context are important. So the text, that is the event of the giving of the commandments, the Decalogue, um, within the larger context of a group of individuals who saw the marvels of God, who were freed from their slavery in Egypt, who saw the prodigies that even Moses was able to do, the splitting of the Red Sea, the giving of manna, the coming of the quail, the striking of the rock at Meribah. It took less than 40 days for, as we say in Italian, la balduria, la balduria, revelry, okay? Worse than revelry to go on and worship a golden calf. But you see, in some ways, that's history, but it's also a parable for us, right? God is present always. He gives us the law as the guardrails of life, right? So that we stay on the road. And when we crash into them, please God, we won't go over. Uh, But they hurt when you crash into them. Yeah. Right? But... In the end, if it wasn't for the law, then we, chances are, sooner or later would fall into balduria, right? Unbridled revelry and all that could flow from that, including some really serious sins. Yeah. So the commandments are extremely important. All law is important, but this divine law, because it's divinely revealed, is extremely important, right? For us to take seriously, uh, because otherwise uh, we now look at the people who are at the base of the mountain who were worshiping the golden calf, and sooner or later we would be standing with them in our own day and time, in our own age, right? Yes. Yep. And the other thing I just want to mention about the commandments is um, even those who do not have religious faith resonate with the Ten Commandments. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. You shall not yeah. kill or murder, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. In, in a sense, it, it is, there is a, a knowledge of the Ten Commandments that even goes beyond those who are believers. Mm-hmm. And there's an inherent logic to them, right? Because three of them deal with our relationship with God. Seven of them deal with our relationship with our neighbor, whether that neighbor is our, our parent, our mother, our father, a neighbor, a friend. So even if there are people 
who are not religious, even people who don't believe in God, may have difficulty with the first three. I think it resonates deeply, the next seven. And of course, in the Christian dispensation, in the Christian faith, they are intimately related. Because Jesus says, love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. He combines the two, right? Where in the New Testament they're separate, he combines the two because objectively speaking, you cannot love God, you cannot will his good for his own good because he is goodness. But you can love the presence of God and the neighbor who is the recipient of that grace. And by doing that, honor the God who gave the person life, gave the offer of salvation, accompanies them unto eternity, right? Yes, yes, yep. So I think lots of people know most of the commandments. I'm not sure enough of them can actually (laughs) quote all the commandments. That is like a a Jeopardy's question. (laughs) Right, (laughs) yes. Right? Yeah. So, so 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 pick one. Let's talk. Well, let's start. Well, but so before we jump into each individual mm-hmm. commandment, I just want to say I love how you uh, put them in context first, because so I taught a confirmation class this, mm-hmm. that just wrapped up with this uh, past confirmation, and how one of uh, it was good. I think. <laughs> so you were uh, on radio, so people can't see the face you just made. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I want to say is, one of the uh, when we talked to, the day that I talked about the commandments with uh, my group of, I had thirteen boys, and oh. um, no girls. I specifically asked for a class with just boys. Oh, interesting. So, okay. um, and. That I, I just like you did, Excellency. I wanted to put the commandments in context because so, the, some of the boys and people, the other people that I talk to, are like, you know, the, the the church is too restricting. There's too many rules, and it starts with the commandments. And and my point was exactly what you said, Excellency. Like the context of the commandments is what counts. You know, God gave the commandments to the Israelites after 400 years after releasing them from 400 years of slavery. They didn't give them to them to enslave them in a different way. Like you said, they're guardrails so that we can live our life to the fullest and really, right. Right. you know, quote, enjoy life. So right. Right. I love you know that you started I, like that. And if I could give just a little bit more commentary, a little more color. I often, in my confirmation homilies, depending on which version I'm using and which story, because they're, they're like pieces that are interchangeable, right? And they keep growing, so it's like more pieces that you could interchange. I quote my father, um, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but my father would often say, it only takes one bad choice to wreck your life. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes in the gift of baptism and confirmation, not only to grace us, not only to make us temples of his presence, but also to help us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to avoid making that one choice that can truly change the trajectory of your life and wreck it, if I can mm-hmm. use that word. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you shall not kill, thou shalt not kill, the fifth commandment. Right? There are many 
who in this culture of death do not value life enough to put a restraint on their passions so that they put themselves in the position where in the occasion of evil, in the occasion of sin, in a moment of frenzy or passion, attack someone else and could take their life. And when they, if you say come to and realize what happened, then it's too late your life is wrecked. Not only are you guilty of grave mortal sin, but the whole trajectory of your life is changed. Yeah. That's why that guardrail is there. Yes. And every single one of these commandments is easy to say, but how you live them is where the rubber hits the road. So you may say, I'm not gonna kill anybody. I don't have a gun. I don't have a, a knife. Okay, that's true, thank God, please God, you're not intending. And yet you get behind the wheel of a car and on the Merritt Parkway, you're driving 75 miles per hour and suddenly something happens unexpectedly and you crash into someone and the person dies. You say to yourself, I didn't intend to do that, but in fact, your actions created the circumstance where a person died. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. So why are you driving 75 miles per hour? You see what I mean? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So um, let's, as Fräulein Maria said in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> Good. And what's the first commandment? Uh, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no gods before me. Excellent. Now, we all believe that, right? One would hope. Yes. But let's... Let's translate that for the modern world. So remember, St. Thomas Aquinas, never deny, seldom affirm, always distinguish. Never deny, seldom affirm, always distinguish. So let's fo focus on the always distinguish. Another way to understand always distinguish is to say, what does a term mean? So. When you hear the word strange gods, for God's chosen people, when they received the commandments, there would have been a very clear understanding in a time of Baal worship and temple prostitution in the pagan religions and the animists and all these other religions where they spoke of multiple gods and clan gods and generational gods. The commandment is saying there is only one God and all these other are false gods. And the prodigies of the Old Testament. Remember Elijah? Remember Elijah and Mount Carmel? Mm -hmm. One of the most spectacular, even though one of the most brutal, right, stories in the Old Testament. When he challenged the 400 prophets of Baal. What you put, and of course, you know, for the people who may remember the story, so Elijah challenged them to offer sacrifice and see which of the sacrifices would be accepted, right, with fire as a sign of the divinity and the power of the presence of God. And of course, the Baal prophets, 400 of them, all the stuff, set up the Holocaust, dancing around, cut themselves with the swords, all the rest, nothing happened. Then Elijah puts his sacrifice puts buckets of water to yes. the point where there's a trench around it, yeah. calls upon God, and God sends fire that destroys what? The Holocaust, the fire, the water, the whole mm -hmm. King Caboodle. Yes. 
right? False gods and the true God. So now, and of course the brutality is all the Baal prophets are slain. Right, right. afterwards. Okay. Afterwards. So this is the question. In the 21st century, which are the, which are the false gods, strange gods in your life and mine and in our listeners that would have had the same attraction as the false gods in the centuries before the birth of the Lord? There are many. Yes. You want to name some? Uh, money. Mm-hmm. Sex. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the environment can become a god to, to people. Mm-hmm. Power. Mm-hmm. Privilege. Right? Possessions. Now, something very interesting here that we have to really reflect on. Is money in and of itself an evil? No. No. Are possessions an evil? No. Is power an evil in and of itself? Not necessarily. Nor is privilege. Right. Right? It is when it takes a claim upon your life that is inordinate. I've often said when your possessions possess you. That is when it takes on the privilege that is only due to God. That's when it becomes a false God. And why it is a very complex question in the modern world is that many people do not realize that their power, privilege, pleasure, possessions, whatever it is, has become a a divine presence, if I could say that, that has taken a claim on them that only God can make that claim. And how do you know that that happens in your life? Sometimes it's already happened and you don't even realize it. And you couch it in terms, oh, of course I'm working 70 hours a week because my, I want to have all these great things for my family. And, you know, so I don't get to see my kids. And I didn't go for their, to their ball games. But this is the good thing. I mean, they have, they could go to any school they want. Or and on some level, there's truth to that. But then there's another question you have to ask yourself. Well, maybe the goal is not to give them everything they want. It's to give them everything they need. And what's really driving some of that? Right? It is, is it, in fact, to have the accumulation of the material goods. So in a sense, in the time of, of, of Moses, the golden calf, you could see this is a false god. In our age, it's much more subtle mm-hmm. and needs much more spiritual reflection. And quite frankly, many of us are blind to the gods we fall prey to. So you need someone else to say it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Like a, like mm-hmm. a spiritual director or, or, a, or a wife or a husband. And, and by the way, then, if your wife or your husband says something like that, it has to be said the right way. It also has to be received the right way. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's hard. Sure, sure it is. Yeah. Because we don't like to admit our faults. We don't like to admit our sins. And we don't, quite frankly, like to admit that we're out of control in any area of our life. Everybody has a veneer 
that I'm all put together nice, and look yes. at me and all the rest. And then you say to yourself, but, but, but you're spending all, but your, but your idol is, is your money. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Because you measure everything against it. You value it above everything else. You compromise relationships sometimes because of it. And you spend all your time accumulating it. So tell me, <laughs> it doesn't have a hold, a possession on your life? Right. Huh? So let's flip it around. I am the Lord your God. You're not half strange. What's the claim God makes on you and me? What is, what is the due to us to, to give to God? What is our due, our duty, our due obligation? What is it that we want that we should give back to God? And the answer is everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. And what does our God do? Give it all back. And more. Because to worship God is not to worship a, 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 an entity, a power that, that wants to accumulate. It's one that freely is offered and freely gives back. So in the end, in our life, you could judge whether something is a strange God or not to the extent that you will freely give and freely receive back. Because if that does not happen, right, then you have a problem. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this one, of all the commandments, this is the one, in my humble opinion, that needs the greatest amount of reflection in your life and mine, because this is the one that can, can undo us because of our either blindness or our inability to admit that there are times in my life, your life, that we have made something or someone else like God in our lives. So then, Excellency, when we reflect on that, would you recommend, for example, if you're spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament or mm -hmm. any, any place in prayer, to actually ask God, what is it in my life that's knocking you out of first place? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes, yes. And don't be surprised that in a moment of brutal honesty, the strange God that we have made is myself. Ah. The fall of Adam and Eve, right? You eat that apple, right, and you will have knowledge that only God should have. No! Crunch, 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 and everything falls apart. Right. So the same for us. Right. But yeah, I think so. And sometimes God reveals, no, I should say, most of the time, God reveals the answer to that question. But it's a subtle revelation. Because that's how love works. Love doesn't use a bat. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. And again, to be attuned in the spiritual life to when you're veering off you know, for example, in a public figure like myself, the temptation, a God, a strange God, a false God that can easily arise in my life is addiction, to use Bishop Barron's word, to praise. As if I could actually convince myself that any good I can do is actually my doing, when in fact it's God's grace and it's all gift. 
So if I preach a homily that people, for whatever reason, find compelling, then, and they say, Bishop, you're a great preacher, and my response back should be, thank God. Because if I were able to do it, the only reason I could do it for that particular instance when it happened is with God's grace in me, not me. But if I believe it's me, then I become my own God. (laughs) Yeah, so, but you're not denying the gift, you're just acknowledging where it came from. Exactly. No, you can't deny the gift because that denies the generosity of God. Yeah. That humility, remember, we've spoken many times, humility is the truth. No, so you can't do that. And sometimes it's embarrassing when people are very kind and they're very encouraging and they're very complimentary. And and it's, and I, by personality, you know, I find that a bit sometimes always grateful for it, but very uncomfortable because you're drawing attention and forget the attention, right? But, but nonetheless, you don't have to be a bishop, you don't have to be a politician, you don't have to be like a, a public figure to get addicted to uh, praise. Yeah. Become your God. And then suddenly you do things to be praiseworthy. Then suddenly you stop speaking the truth and you say the things people want to hear because they want to hear it and they'll praise you for it. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So number one is the one I would suggest of the 10 that should be part of the examination of conscience for every person who's a believer every day, every day. And what we will discover, as I've discovered in my life, is that it's not a mistake that it's in the plural. (laughs) Strange gods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they have different faces at different times in our lives. Wow. Okay. All right. So one down, nine to go. We'll do those on the other side of the break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, So, Excellency, 
Uh, let's just keep going down the list. Should we hit number two? Number which two. Is, which which is? Uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Ah. Okay. So don't take the Lord's name in vain. There's a clear meaning of what that is. All right. We do not use the Lord's name in any context other than the context that gives him the proper praise, gratitude, and worship. So you don't say his name in anger. You don't ever say his name associated with any foul language, which some people do. Yes. Um, so that's obvious. C- could it could it also mean uh, don't you know don't use it in vain? Like when you um, I don't know how to say this, but when you pray, you're almost just kind of like blah blah blah. You're not and you're praying. Oh. You know you know what, you know what I'm trying to say. Don't it's take not, the name of the Lord, your God, for granted. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, of course. There's, again, there's subtle, there's subtle meanings here in all of them. Okay. And I don't think that even if that's not a, uh, an obvious intent, it is consonant with the obvious intent. Right? But, but again, it, it's a negative commandment. You shall not. But we could also understand it positively. So if you are not to take of the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, what are you to do with the name of God? Now, Amazing. it's interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, well, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, among our Jewish brothers and sisters, they do not name God. They do not utter the name of God. Right. For he is the one, the transcendent. Right? But we do. So we have already taken a leap in the Lord Jesus to be able to speak to God in his name. So we've gone beyond in the Old Testament where there was a fear if I looked upon the face of God, I would die. Remember? Abraham and Sarah was the angel. But now we actually can name him so then, what is the obligation regarding the name of God? And I would say it's very simple. That when you're going to name God, you do it always in recognition that he is God and you are not. It's a posture of thanksgiving, of praise, of adoration, of worship of God. So, in my mind... The ideal place to name God is in prayer, which we do all the time. Mm -hmm. To study about God, that would make sense. When you speak to God in prayerfulness, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. In all other contexts, you have to take great care. Because if it's not an adoration, honor, worship, then... Remain silent. Yeah. Hmm? So let's let's slide into number three keep, then. Keep holy the Lord's day. Yes. All right. So some of the translations, the most prevalent translation says, keep holy the Sabbath. Uh, and the Sabbath is? Sunday. No, the Sabbath, I'm sorry, is Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how do you interpret number three to be a Christian commandment then? Uh, I believe it's because um, the Sabbath is Saturday, but Jesus made the Lord's Day Sunday. Because of his resurrection. That's why in some of the translations it says, 
a more of a loose translation, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Right? But in fact, in the, in the Old Testament, it says keep holy the Sabbath. Because that was to the Jews. And to the day of rest of God in creation. And we've spoken about the, the dispensation of the recreation of all things, which is in the resurrection of the Lord. Now, how do you do that? How does a Christian keep holy the Lord's day, the Sabbath day for Christians? How do you do that? Let's talk about that, because this also gets people into interesting places, puts them in interesting places. At minimum, it is to worship God as part of the body of Christ. So at minimum, is to come to church and to enter into the death and resurrection of Christ, which makes Sunday holy. <laughs> right, yep. Right? That's obvious, right? In which case, we have a lot of work to do. Because at 45,000 people coming to Mass, and there's 400,000 people baptized, and that we worry about 10% of population coming to Mass, which is horrendous. Yes. All right, that's number one. Well, how else do you keep holy the Lord's Day? I know, I know some people who will not do any work on Sunday. Homework, office work, uh, mm -hmm. any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and... You How know, many people do you know will not shop on Sunday? I don't know anybody anymore who will not shop on Sunday. And the interesting thing about, so, so let's, let's parse up this, so let's let peel the onion. So first of all, it is meant to be a day of rest. And therefore, work that can be dispensed until the next day should be dispensed so that we can enjoy the benefit of being recreated in Jesus Christ that the grace that we receive going to Mass can kind of marinate in our lives, right? To rekindle the sense of gratitude and joy, right? And the time spent in love with the people we love, right? See, in my mind, going back, I've said this many times, Sunday is, the, is not only going to Mass, but it's also going to Sunday dinner, mm -hmm. where everybody gathers together, and I had high points, low points, times of great beauty, times of we're screaming at each other, but that's not the point. Point is, it was, it's part of what's making the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, a time of recreation. And then there are the activities that are not directly work for us, but Unfortunately, by our participating in it, we're creating work for others. Hmm. So when I go shopping at Macy's on Sunday, someone has to be working there to attend to me. Right. Right. And unfortunately, for many times, those individuals who are working to provide the the luxury for me to buy my pants, my shoes, whatever I'm buying. Um, we don't give enough credence, enough reflection on the sacrifice that they are making many times because they have no financial alternative but to do that. And in a sense, we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Because if none of us were here, these people would be home like I will be going home now after I have my pair of pants, off I go. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other level to this, which are the essential services. 
if we're going to function in our modern society, you need. Every single policeman can't take the day of rest as rest. There right. would be balduria to the nth degree mm-hmm. in society, right? Firemen can't, hospitals, doctors, nurses, right? So there's a level of work that is, 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 is essential for the common good. So are these people breaking the commandment because they're working? And the answer to that is no, right? But we as Christians, how often do we allude to the sacrifice? How often do we thank them for the sacrifice? Yeah, right? yeah. Because they're allowing us the possibility of resting if we choose to, right? Yes. That's all wrapped up in this commandment, in my, oh. in my humble opinion. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, more, that's more to reflect on for us. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we have this, the second set, the seven commandments that... Uh, uh, involve one another, right? Yes. And they start with... Honor your father and mother. Our parents. Our parents who gave us life, our parents who formed us in the faith, our parents who accompanied us until we were able to walk on our own, literally walk on our own in society. Now, this is a very tricky commandment. Why? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because... I have met many a person who, rather than be loved by a father or mother, had a very different experience. Yeah. Very different. Right. right. Abandoned, misused, misunderstood, um, spoken down to. I can name you a host of individuals whose self-worth was shattered at the hands of parents. And once, you, you, once it's shattered, it is extraordinarily hard to rebuild on your own because there is a natural gift our parents give us. And at the heart of it, the natural gift is to make God's love real for us. Yes. That's the essential duty of a Christian parent. So, so that's the first thing we have to say. People read that commandment from very different points of view. Now, I don't know about you, growing up, when I grew up, my mother, to honor my mother was easy. Okay? And the reason it was easy is because my mother was the gentle one, the, uh, the affectionate one, the compassionate one, the patient one, and she was a great cook. Yeah. Honor my mother was easy. Okay. Honoring my father had shades and seasons attached to it. Because my father grew up in a time when you had to respect your father, which meant you had to be afraid of your father on some level. That he showed affection. There's no doubt about it. But my father was also the kind of the disciplinarian. And so, again, you honor him. It, it, the honor I gave him when I was young, at times was just out of fear, not out of affection. And that changed as I grew older, mm-hmm. as I got to know him, that he wasn't this fearsome guy. You know, when you're a little kid, looking at your father, you said, my goodness, <laughs> yeah. 
right? <laughs> I don't want to get him mad. This I do not want to do, right? But as you grow older, you realize that, you know, that's not the case. So the question you have here is, all right, so in my mind, the, the complexity here is there are different experiences of mothers and fathers. <clears throat> Presume that your father and mother, your experience with your father and mother was a fairly positive one. What's the motivation of honoring them? And it could be mixed. Mm -hmm. And let's say you didn't have an experience of a loving mother or a loving father. Well, how do you honor them if you're going to fulfill the commandments? Yeah. Any thoughts? Um, gosh. I mean, you still, as they get older, I guess you would still want to make sure that they are taken care of, you know, to the mm -hmm. degree that they need to be taken care of. I mean, I guess in that situation, it would feel more like a duty or a responsibility versus, you know, I want to give this back to my parents, I guess. But, but we still need to. Right. It's to love them, to will their good, which doesn't always have to have an emotional peace. So the word honor is something you need to reflect on. Because we accord honor to individuals. We lift them up, right? Um, we give them the recognition and do, right? We honor many people in life. Yes. Here, that word honor has, I think, also a deeper level. It's to will the good of your parents. And sometimes, if a person's abusive, to have force them to confront the truth is actually honoring them. Mm -hmm. Because... Whatever we are guilty of before Christ, we will be naked and it will be clear. To the extent that we can repent of it in this life will save us having to do it before the Savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, So when I was reading through the list of Ten Commandments, I noticed, interestingly, this fourth commandment is the only one that seems to have a promise attached to it. It says, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the mm -hmm. land which your Lord has given you. Right, right. And again, in the context of the, of the Old Testament, in the covenant given to, to God's chosen people, that would have been very much in the minds of in, the, in this life, mm. the blessing shown in this life. That's why old age was revered, because it was seen as a sign of divine blessing that you lived. And that is why you know, um, accidental deaths and would have been raised the question, well, why did this happen? Right. Whose sin was it for, right? Mm. Even the Lord was asked that question. For yes. us as Christians in the new dispensation, right, of, of the salvation in Christ, your days are long because they're eternal <laughs> in him. Yeah. And the real blessing is not always seen in this life, but will be fulfilled in the fullness of life in the kingdom. Yes. Okay. Right. And of course, before we move on, everyone should understand this commandment to include God our Father. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then number five, you shall not kill. We kind of talked about this already. You did. Right? Yep. And, and so what you said, or part of what you said earlier also applies to the next one, you shall not commit adultery. And that's Jesus's um, 
expanding the commandment to not just yeah so tell me how does he expand it how does he expand it yeah so basically he said uh you know not don't just not kill but anybody who hates has committed murder in his heart and don't just not commit adultery but if you look at another woman the wrong way then you're committing adultery in your heart so he's talking about what's inside not just your outward actions because in the end since we stand before God in fully of who we are, he's not just looking at the sum total of our decisions, but the motivations and attitudes of ourselves that created those decisions that mates at times do not end in the decision being made, but has still moved us in the wrong direction. So if a man never sleeps with another woman or a woman sleeps with another man other than their spouse, or someone who is, you know, maybe unmarried with whomever. Mm -hmm. um, you never do that, but you lust in your heart and reduce people to objects everywhere you go, particularly married people, then that's what the Lord is saying. You're still guilty of violating really the spirit of this commandment. Yes. Right. Now, how many people do you think need to examine their conscience on number six? Number six, the uh, do not commit adultery. adultery. Pfft, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right, especially in our hyper-sexualized world. Yes. You know, and again, this is social commentary. People may not agree with me, and what can I tell you, right? But the way people dress nowadays is hyper-sexualized. And it is seen as beautiful. It's certainly revealing. And you say to yourself, why do you want to draw people's attention to yourself in that way? For example, pants that are so tight, dress hems that are so high, um, shirts that are unbuttoned, or tank tops that basically are useless. There's no point wear no shirt if that's the case. I mean, but, but why? Yeah. I'm not suggesting that we become Puritan, but I'm also suggesting that, you know, in the end, why would you want people to see you that way? So we talk about the physical adultery. We talk about, if I may say, a spiritual adultery. But why would you, why, to what purpose? Yeah. But it's all over. And again, I hope I don't offend anybody, but part of the reason when we debated confirmation gowns, why I said, oh, absolutely, we're gonna wear confirmation gowns. There's no way we're not gonna wear them. Because sometimes both guys and gals dress, I guess with the permission of their parents in a way that I think is totally inappropriate for church. Mm -hmm. Totally inappropriate yes. for church. Yeah. Oh, inappropriate period. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I you know I would I would say that uh, you you asked how, how many people would have been do I think are guilty of this sin or of this breaking this commandment I would say the same thing with um, feeling hate in your heart for somebody mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that has to be everybody. Well, I think everybody's tempted. I'm not sure yeah. everybody falls into it. Everybody's tempted in one way, shape, or form. Exactly right because again, in those moments. Let's be brutally frank, shall we? If I see you as an Asian American or an African American 
or whatever else, or, or, or Haitian-American, or Hispanic-American, and I am made myself God, then the fact that we don't look alike is a problem for you, not me. Right? And hatred in the end is what? An odious feeling, an odious choice against someone for what purpose? In some way, shape, or form, there's some dynamic that says, you are vying with me, you are competing with me, you are trying to take the place I've given to myself, which is the center of my life. Because you cannot truly love God, truly love God for who God is, and truly hate your neighbor. How could you possibly do the two simultaneously? Yeah. So we go back to the first commandment, and even here, right? So you, you look at someone and reduce them to an object, then don't tell me you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul. You couldn't possibly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Um, okay. You shall not steal. Ooh, that means even in the office. That means putting stuff in your, in your bag, the paper clips, the scotch tape, the paper, all that ream of paper. I need it for home. Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because most people listen here, everyone who listens, I mean, generally speaking, we're all trying to be good. Nobody's robbing a bank, <laughs> right? I hope. Yeah. But, yeah. but you steal, but, but that sort of stuff we give ourselves license for, and that's just, that's not good. Because it's really not ours. And then, how about this? You ready? You sitting? How about stealing somebody's reputation? Hmm. with gossip, right? And innuendo and repeating stories 14th time removed because it just seems to be, who did you hear about? Well, how do you know what, they, what you heard about? Yeah. <laughs> so we always, in my mind, when I was growing up, I always understood shall not steal as taking a physical object that does not belong to me. And that is in fact stealing. But we mitigate, say, ah, oh, but it's just so small. What difference does it make? That violates the commandment. And what about the intangible realities we have? Like someone's reputation. Then you get into real serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And we could all fall prey to it, even though we would never consider robbing a bank or stealing a car or whatever else it may be, or burglaring somebody's house. So in this way, then, does this kind of blend into the next one, which is bearing false witness against your neighbor? Yes. This is, again, the obvious intent is to bear false witness, all right, is to lie mm -hmm. about your neighbor. Whether it's in a court of law, whether it's in the temple court at the time of Jesus, or whether it's in the court of public opinion, right, Not to lie about your neighbor. So many times you can understand to simply say, thou shall not lie, thou shall not speak untruths, thou shall not speak falsehoods. But have you ever heard people talking about a white lie? Mm. What's a white lie? <laughs> well, a lie that, you know, is not a big deal, it's right. not to hurt somebody's feelings, <laughs> right? And again, we try, to, we try to justify it by saying, well, it's not hurting anybody. But it's still a lie. <laughs> yeah. Could, could it also be, Excellency, um, not speaking up in defense of somebody or on someone's behalf? 
Maybe. Ooh, excellent point. Excellent point. So there is there is a, an interesting dynamic, right? We are obligated to tell the truth, but we are not obligated to tell the truth in its totality in every circumstance. Everyone doesn't have the right to the fullness of the truth, depending on the context. So I say a confirmation when I talk to the sponsors. La più bella parola è quella che non è detta. The most beautiful word is the one not spoken, right? So when we talk about this, you can say, you can lie positively about someone and that's sinful. You can reveal truth about someone that is not their right to know and that is also offending your neighbor. Mm. Then you can withhold truth that should be said in a context. And that's all. In my mind, all of these are layers in yes. number eight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So in two minutes, we got the two final commandments. Okay. Which... I'll leave them up to you. To, to, you can explain. You shall not cover <laughs> your neighbor's wife. You shall not cover your neighbor's goods. Go. You know, actually, we're out of time. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, covet, you know, to want, to, 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 it's, it's envy and jealousy, right? You envy people, you're jealous of goods. I may have that backwards on there, to be honest. But, but, it, but it's, it's different it, from just seeing like, hey, you know, he has a nice car. Boy, I'd really like to have that, you know, mm -hmm. a, a car like that. It's different from that, isn't it, Excellency? I think what's different about it is if Steve Lee has that red BMW convertible that I ever wa I wanted since I was a little boy and I see you drive up in it, certainly there's a part of me that would say I would love to have that. But if I act differently because you have it, mm. if I treat you differently because you have it, or I harbor a grudge against you because you have it and I don't, that's coveting it and that's sin. Okay. I should rejoice that you have it. And I should also rejoice that I never had it because in the will of God, if I did have it, he has foreseen it would not have been good for me. So why do I, when I'm growing up, I kept, until finally I realized, I kept saying to him, I want it, and finally I said, but, 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 but why? I could have died in it for all I know if I had it recklessly, who knows? What the, right? Yeah. So in the end, yes. And covet your neighbor's wife or husband not just wife. Yeah, right. Right? Just for clarity's sake. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Wow, we got through all 10 of them. Uh, we did. We did. But we gave short, sh short shifts to some of these. That's all right, though. We, we could always come back in a few years. There's plenty to talk about. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or if listeners have specific questions, they can always email those in. Oh, yes. I would invite people for questions because... The, the more questions we have about the commandments, the more we peel open their true meaning. Yes, yeah. I would encourage people to send them in. Yeah. Okay, so let's take a break and come back on the other side with a listener question uh, for this week. And this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here is the question to which um, many people will probably relate. It says, Bishop Frank, thank you for your show. It is a gift. My question is, is swearing a sin? 
If so, do you have any tips on how to stop? Yeah, swearing, if you mean by swearing, foul language that can be scandalous when it's used. Or at worst, what we talked about in, in the commandments, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Yes, it is sinful. And it's also rude and discourteous, besides being simple. Now, having said that, for the vast majority of people I know, including myself when I was younger, much younger, it's also a habit. You fall into the habit and you say it and don't even realize half the time that you're saying it until the words are out there already. So to break the habit of swearing is the same way you break any other habit. You have to intentionally create an alternative habit that takes its place. So for example, if your habit is at night, after dinner, to sit on the sofa and watch TV and eat ice cream and you're gaining weight, and that's your habit, you have to, after dinner, get up, go for a short walk and skip the ice cream and you do it long enough it, supplant, it supplants the former. So the same thing here. So if your habit is when you are angry, you spurt out, good Lord knows what, <laughs> it's like a freight train. The first thing you have to do is intentionally bite your tongue and say nothing. Discipline yourself to say nothing and then substitute it with something else. Now, some people who know me very well, they know my substitutions now, many years later, right? So it would be, it's almost like a, a small prayer. Mother of God, help me. Mother of God, save us, <laughs> right? And it's real, it's really felt. Yes. It saved me for, but in my much younger days, there was much more colorful language <clears throat> as a teenager, much more. Yeah. And this is a G-rated podcast, so we cannot <laughs> give you any examples, okay? So break a habit by forming a new habit to substitute it. Great. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And thank you, thank you to Foundations in Faith, a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization, makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks for, uh, thanks for all of that. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. It was fun. It was um, fun. And, and would you please give us your blessing? Yes. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, send your spirit upon us and upon our listeners that you may always keep us close, keep us in the palm of your hand, and help us always to be assured that in good times and in bad, you're always with us, guiding us and protecting us unto eternal life. And we ask now that you bless us in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, I will see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. All the best. Take care.